MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, August 19th, 2021. Today, the FBI is now investigating the Mesa County, Colorado leak of voter data supplied to the MyPillow guy. A Georgia board has launched an inquiry into Fulton County, Georgia election issues. There are now over 10,000 students in quarantine in that central Florida school district. One of Kushner's pals is indicted by the Manhattan district attorney. A surprising letter from the Republican governor of Utah and General Milley says that military intelligence did not predict the rapid fall of Kabul. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody, it's just me today. Dana is traveling, so it's just you and I. Just you and I. Just you and I. Okay, that's enough of that. But uh, to be fair, I will actually be talking with Malcolm Nance later in the hour. I also want to announce that Andrew Torres and I will be, or me, Andrew Torres, no, Andrew Torres and I will be recording a live episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 that patrons of the show can attend. It will be Monday, August 30th at 5 p.m. in downtown Washington, D.C. Our vaccinated aisle 45 patrons are welcome to attend that live taping, taping, (laughs) and then we can all go out after and have a cocktail. We will send location details to our patrons on the cleanup on aisle 45 Patreon page. I will also be hosting a Daily Beans and Muller She Wrote meetup in D.C. on Sunday, August 29th for lunch or brunch, and I'll send those details out to uh, our patrons of this show shortly. You can become a patron of Clean Up on Aisle 45 for as little as a buck an episode at patreon.com slash aisle45pod. That's aisle four five pod And of the beans and muller she wrote at patreon.com slash thedailybeans. I look forward to seeing all of you in D.C. We do have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, lead story today. And this is big news that the mainstream media is ignoring because they're too busy shitting on Biden today. But remember when Mike Lindell had his cyber symposium where he was going to show you a ton of data that proved voter fraud, specifically in Colorado, but he never showed that data that proved it, though he did show some data. He did show a bunch of data from Mesa County, Colorado that really meant nothing. But in the middle of that review, Ron Watkins that's a QAnon conspiracy theorist. He his his little presentation he was giving, he actually had to interrupt the review saying he got a call from his lawyer telling him to stop the review because the data was probably stolen. <laughs> I tweeted to the FBI and the Department of Justice, "Hey, you guys want to take a look at this?" That was 6 days ago. Well, an FBI spokeswoman told CNN today that the FBI Denver field office has joined a Colorado district attorney's investigation into the county clerk's office and how voting machine logins from the county wound up in QAnon-affiliated videos. The Secretary of State's office is also conducting its own probe and uh, last week ordered the replacement of election equipment in the county to the cost of the taxpayers. The voting machine logins were featured in an August 3rd video posted on a QAnon-affiliated Telegram channel 
about 2020 election fraud claims. And in a news conference last week, Griswold blamed Peters for the leak. That's uh, one of the Tina Peters saying the secretary of state's office could not establish a verifiable chain of custody for the machines and that Peters brought a non-employee to a May 25th trusted build meeting where they, you know, closely guarded voting machine login credentials were visible to attendees. Griswold said her employees had been misled to believe the non-employee in question was an employee. Griswold's office had said Monday the Secretary of State would appoint a new person to oversee elections in Mesa County. Dan Rubenstein, the Mesa County District Attorney, has previously confirmed to CNN that the Secretary of State's office contacted him last week saying they believed there were potential criminal matters which would be referred to my office for prosecution. Courtney Bernal, spokeswoman for the FBI's field office in Denver, told CNN in a statement they're working with the DA's office on the forensic review and analysis of county voting systems to determine if there was a potential federal criminal violation. Mike Lindell, you might want to think about selling your pillows to the Bureau of Prisons. That way you can make your own bed and lie in it. And uh, also because no one else will buy them because they're terrible and prison is supposed to be uncomfortable. So I think that's a good contract. Next up, we see some of the GOP voter suppression laws in action, and this story should throw up all kinds of red flags. The Georgia State Election Board appointed a bipartisan panel Wednesday to investigate Fulton County's elections management. That's a performance review sought by Republicans that could lead to a state takeover of the heavily Democratic county. Fulton is the first county to undergo a performance review created by Georgia's new voter suppression law passed by the state's GOP majority and the legislature after Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump. Fulton has a history of election problems with long lines and slow results and administrative errors, but a state monitor last fall found no evidence of dishonesty or fraud. After the review is completed, the state election board will have the power to replace Fulton's election board with temporary superintendent, who would have the authority over vote counting, polling places, and staffing. Red flag, red flag. State election board members say they hope the performance review will compel Fulton to fix problems with absentee ballot processing and vote counting procedures. There are none. The board voted unanimously to approve the appointees to the panel. The performance review panel members are Republican Ricky Kittle, chairman of the Catoosa County Elections Board. Catoosa Kittle is what I'm going to call him from now on. Democrat Stephen Day, a member of the Gwinnett County Elections Board. And Ryan Germany, a general counsel for Republican Secretary of State Raffensperger. Fulton County Commission Chairman Rob Pitts said the effort to scrutinize Fulton is driven by the big lie. The election results were fraudulent. They were not. Three vote counts, both by machine and by hand, showed that Biden defeated Trump by about 12,000 votes in Georgia. Quote, this is a result of a cynical ploy to undermine faith in our elections process and democracy itself. It is a shameful partisan political ploy at its worst. That's what Pitts said. And in COVID news, Remember yesterday when we told you about 5,600 kids were in quarantine in Hillsborough County, Florida? Well, as of 7 a.m. today, there are 10,384 students in quarantine across Hillsborough County Public School District. That's according to a spokesperson with the schools. That's 4.8% of the student population. Additionally, 338 staff members are now in quarantine, making up about 1.4% of the staff. The quarantine numbers do not include those who are vaccinated. The school district warns these numbers are not just school transmissions and that the students could be in quarantine due to transmission or exposure outside of school. Hillsborough County said the total number of positive cases are at least about 1,700. Of that, 1,197 students and 498 are staff. 
A total of 28,782 students have opted out of the mask policy. That's about 14.5% of the student population, but a spokesperson for the school district tells CNN that number has dwindled in the past few days. Thank God Ron DeSantis is setting up Regeneron clinics, am I right? And for the latest in what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan, I'll be speaking with Malcolm Nance in a bit. But General Mark Milley addressed the intelligence concerns we all had today during remarks to the press. He said that the U.S. military's intelligence did not indicate that Afghanistan would fall as quickly as it did to the Taliban. Milley's comments come as intelligence communities have pushed back on claims that the Afghan collapse was a surprise. Several leaks have actually asserted that intelligence agencies provided substantial information regarding Afghanistan's potential fall. Quote, the time frame of potential collapse was widely estimated. It ranged from weeks to months, even years following our departure. That's what Milley said during the briefing. Quote, there was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and the government in 11 days. Milley also pledged to evacuate Afghans who have supported the U.S. military. Quote, we intend to evacuate those who have been supporting us for years, and we are not going to leave them behind, and we will get as many out as possible. His assessment, by the way, lines up perfectly with what Malcolm explains to me in our interview later in the show and in what he considers to be the likely scenario. So stick around for that interview, which, by the way, we recorded before Millie gave his remarks. And a bright spot in the story of the refugees from Afghanistan, Governor of Utah, Governor Cox, issued a a letter yesterday to, to Joe Biden. And it reads, in part, I am deeply saddened by the human tragedy currently unfolding in Afghanistan. I recognize Utah plays no direct role in shaping U.S. diplomatic or military policy, but we have a long history of welcoming refugees from around the world and helping them restart their lives in a new country. Our state was settled by refugees fleeing from religious persecution 170 years ago. Their descendants have a deep understanding of the danger and pain caused by forced migration and an appreciation for the wonderful contributions of refugees in our communities. Please advise us in the coming days and weeks with how we can assist. I did double check and triple check. That's a Republican, Republican Governor of Utah Cox. All right, time for a little Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. All right, I'm not going to give too much away here because I'm going to be covering this in depth on this weekend's Fantasy Indictment League on the Muller She Wrote podcast. But Ken Curson, a close friend of Kushner, who was pardoned by Trump, by the way, Curson was pardoned by Trump was charged in state criminal court in Manhattan on Wednesday with eavesdropping and computer trespassing, both felonies. Prosecutors accused Mr. Curson of using spyware to breach his wife's computer in 2015 as the couple's marriage fell apart. Each crime is punishable by up to four years in prison. Cy Vance said, we will not accept presidential pardons as a get-out-of-jail-free card for the well-connected in New York. As a personal victim of this exact crime, I have a lot more to say about it, and I'll talk about it this Sunday on Muller She Wrote. You can get Muller She Wrote wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be right back with former Navy Intel crypto Jedi and New York Times bestselling author Malcolm Nance. Stay here. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for The Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Bowl and Branch. Sometimes it's the little things that make the biggest difference in our lives, like remembering people's names, which I'm terrible at. The level of considerate attentiveness can go a long way. The little things we do add up to the legacy we leave behind. So I need to start being better at learning people's names. (laughs) Bull and Branch was started by a husband and wife team. They wanted to create a textile company that cared about the details that would make their products last and be wonderful. 
You'll feel the difference in their best-selling, beautifully crafted signature sheets. I am crazy about my Bolin brand sheets. I absolutely love them. They take my sleeping up to the next level. They're buttery and soft and luxurious, and they keep getting softer with time. The ultra-refined luxe fabric has the spectacular drape and its silken feel, which I absolutely love. It keeps me cool. The Cloudweight Super Soft Sateen Weave gets softer, like I said, with every wash. And they have the perfect balance of weight and breathability to pamper warm or cool sleepers through any season. There are no middlemen between you and Bolin Branch, which is awesome. So you get the luxury quality for the fairest price. And they stand behind their products and honor a 30-night worry-free guarantee if you're unsatisfied. So to experience an entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com. You can get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L and A-N-D, Branch, B-R-A-N-C-H dot com and use promo code DAILYBEANS. Everybody, welcome back. I'm honored to be joined today by retired senior chief, 36 plus years of experience in U.S. intelligence and cyber and four-time New York Times bestselling author. Please welcome Malcolm Nance. Malcolm, hello. Hi, glad to be here. You forgot that I'm a, I am, I am a benighted Jedi Knight by Luke Skywalker himself. Yeah, you know, your credits are too <laughs> many to list in a reasonable introduction. But yes, a credited Jedi Knight from Hamill himself, I will say. Now, I've been wanting to talk to you all week mm-hmm. because of what we're seeing on the ground in Afghanistan. Whew, a lot of uh, armchair generaling on social media these days. I only speak from my personal experience working with uh, veterans, OEF, OEF veterans over the last 12 years. And then, of course, you know what the information that I get from experts that I know. And then if I have an opinion about something, I'm clear that this is my opinion about something. My opinion is it's the right thing to withdraw, though a lot of people are concerned, and I think rightly so, about the method to which this went down, namely executing the agreement made by Trump in Doha with the Taliban, leaving out the Afghan government. But me, myself, I'm more upset at the Afghan government betraying us, taking our training and our time and our blood and our money and fleeing with bags of money on a plane before any of this went down. And it's like almost like a chicken and egg situation. What is your analysis of what we saw initially and how this is playing out? Well, first off, there, there are several factors that you have to to bring into play before you can say, what did we see? Because you had to have been seeing it over a period of time to recognize what was going on. Uh, First thing that we really need to talk about is the fact that the Trump administration had cut this secret deal with the Taliban, where they were negotiating for years with the Taliban directly at Doha, Qatar, um, and left out the government of Afghanistan until February 2020. We shook hands on that deal in January 2020. So once that deal was done, then we brought in the government of Afghanistan. So it's sort of like somebody who's, you know, it's sort of like you wake up and you find that your child had sold your house and had been secretly talking to a realtor, (laughs) you know, for, for months and months. And then you come in and it's like, okay, sign this paper. So that being said, when these negotiations came out that they were direct with the Taliban, Afghan people are very politically sophisticated. And you'll find that is almost universal throughout uh, the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. The average person on the street understands the Byzantine labyrinthine way that politics is done in that part of the world. We do not, which is why the Trump administration deal 
essentially said that the Taliban could take Afghanistan. Uh, the exchange was for there to be no attacks in the run-up to the 2020 election. Huh. No attacks on U.S. forces. Uh, and, that, and the Taliban stuck to their deal. There was, when they brought the government of Afghanistan into negotiations in February 2020, there was supposed to be some power-sharing agreement. But the Taliban had already negotiated the deal, and based on their reading of it, they were going to take power in Afghanistan. And so the, you know, um, you know, the government of Afghanistan, uh, you know, no matter who the leadership were, they were secondary to that entire plan, which meant that the United States was not going to give support to Afghan forces. Fast forward to December 2020, right after the election, Donald Trump is challenging the election. That's when Donald Trump started throwing bugaboos in. There was a secret plan that we now know because a couple of books have been written, uh, particularly the one by, um, you know, the, the two Washington Post reporters, um, that they found out Trump ordered the Joint Chiefs of Staff to remove every U.S. soldier from Afghanistan by January 1st, mm -hmm. and that the Joint Chiefs only could convince him that this was a bad idea because we were going to leave billions of dollars of equipment. They said we could get on the airplanes, but all of our ammunition would have to be left. Most of our heavy equipment would have to be left. And the government, that would all fall to the, you know, to the Taliban almost immediately. And if it wasn't for the fact that he is a greedy you know, SOB, um, we would have been gone in January and the Taliban would have walked in. And I see a lot of right wingers, and this is where your armchair generals come in, saying, well, that was winter and the Taliban are in the mountains and they couldn't have come. You know, they wouldn't have been able to make it offensive to take those cities. This is ludicrous. I mean, you know, these guys have cars. <laughs> you could. And, and I'm almost certain that when the town of Jalalabad fell last week, which was last Wednesday or so, I up. That's where I operated uh, very early on in the war. I was in the Jalalabad uh, Tora Bora area in the post Tora Bora uh, combat operations to do an intelligence assessment of Al Qaeda operations, and it's only two hours, three hours in the car from Jalalabad. You could take a taxi. The Taliban could have taken a taxi and been at the outskirts of Kabul, right? the minute that they saw that they took over the eastern province. And same thing with Kandahar. Kandahar is a hard eight to 10 hours driving if you're taking the jingly bus, right? But the Taliban has pickups. So it doesn't matter as each one of these, it started in the northern provinces. And I think that that's because the Taliban understood that the central government had already sold out those provincial governors, had they had already, for the last, we understand from now, new reporting, the last year and a half has been nothing but the Taliban making secret deals with the tribal leaders about them coming and taking over their provinces. And they promised a lot of things. They wouldn't take out, kill their families, you know, that it would be, it would be bringing law and order and the end of corruption back to Afghanistan. The poppy harvest would be eliminated again which was things that, the, that people liked about the Taliban. They had gotten rid of alcohol. They had gotten rid of opium, um, you know, and they allowed people to live as 
pretty average good Muslims on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, according to the Islamic values that they had. So that deal was cut. And what happened was, and I'm wondering whether it was one of two things. I'm not sure how centralized the collapse of the army was. I really think it was, um, you know, for, uh, you know, that uh, Ashraf Ghani and his forces uh, and his commanders, all of whom, by the way, not just commanders, his politicians, his political class, while stuffing their airplanes and executive jets with cash and laying out a three hour flight plan to Abu Dhabi, uh, were telling their commanders to turn over to the Taliban. There's a good piece of video that I've seen of a Afghan commando talking to his unit commander, and he's shouting at him. They, they refer to the Taliban as Punjabis because they come from Pakistan, right? The Punj, you know, they, they come from the northwest frontier province, but Pakistan to them is the Punjab, right? And he's shouting, he's shouting, don't make me give my gun to the Punjabi. Don't make me surrender to the Punjabi. You know, I mean, it was it's utterly amazing. And so the Taliban did not actually come by combat arms, didn't come with 10,000 men. In some instances, their underground terror cells were called on phone and said, hey, go to the provincial governor's office and take control of the province. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So that, you know, these 10 guys jump onto their motor scooters, literally two and three at a time with their AK-47s and pull out their Taliban flags and drive to the provincial governor's office, and boom, Kunduz falls. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, and the, the entire system was rigged to turn over. So we didn't see a collapse of the army. We saw the surrender of the armed forces and a transition of the ANP and the ANA to the Taliban forces. Yeah, and the Washington Post article that came out, you know, has said that there were some rural payoffs, but it seemed that the orders were coming from above. Central government. Yeah, and and I saw an Afghan woman in the press room, I think it was with the Pentagon, where where Barbara Lee was, and she she was in tears. And and she said, tell me what happened to Ghani. Why did my president betray me? Why did they lay down arms? And and the mainstream media is focusing on the people who are, are saying that America betrayed the Afghan people. But a lot of the Afghans I see, particularly women, are upset with why Ghani betrayed them and fled. And my main question, and you're an intel expert, a cyber expert, why? how come but the Biden now we know about the sabotage, right? The GSA Emily didn't sign over on the transition. And Mitch McConnell was slow rolling appointees by filibustering the power sharing agreement in the Senate. So we couldn't get our people of real Haynes, ODNI, for example, in position. CIA guy wasn't in until March or April or May or something like that. So why didn't Biden? Biden seemed genuinely surprised that the Afghan government surrendered. How did he not know? He should have felt been surprised. But, you know, things operate in Afghanistan in a way that sort of defy U.S. intelligence. A lot of things like this, where the where the Taliban are meeting with the with the provincial governors, that kind of intelligence would seem relatively normal, right? Uh, that the provincial governors were receiving promises from the Taliban, that would seem relatively normal. But these are the sort of things that, okay, you know, I worked at NSA and Signals Intelligence, so I'm very sensitive to, you know, phone calls and things like that. If you're not there and your collection is not very focused. Right. If all of your collection is focused on Taliban leadership, 
between Doha and uh, Quetta, Pakistan, for example. I'm this is hypothetical. I've never copied that stuff, so I don't know. But it must exist, right? Mm-hmm. It must. So if all of that is focused there, then when you get this phone call, you know, let me put this into historical perspective. The morning of December 7th, 1941, was the evening and afternoon of December 6th in the in Washington, D.C. And during that time, up 20G, my predecessor in the Navy, uh, in the, the cryptologic element of the Navy, was intercepting the communications of the Japanese diplomats in Washington, D.C., with an extensively long letter, essentially breaking uh, relations with the United States. But first, you got to intercept it, right? We had that. Then you have to decrypt it. You have to break the Japanese code. We did that. Then you have to translate it from kanji, you know, Japanese into English. We have that. Then you got to put it into a courier bag. <laughs> Back oh, in those- yeah, my dude, my dad did this. My dad did this in Vietnam on Monkey right. Mountain. And then he intercepted Russian messages, decrypted them, translated them, recrypted them, sent them to Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. We didn't have the carrier bags. I think at that yeah. point we could actually yeah. send it over yeah. the wire. Well, but yeah, th- be- this is a process. And Trump only left us twenty five hundred troops yeah. in the region. Well, I'm just saying officially, I don't know what you're talking about, but. <laughs> That's what cryptologists say to each other. What? I don't know what you mean. Glomar. Glomar. Yeah, what, whatever. Glomar. <laughs> so, but my point is, is that in the old days, that's how that was done. That was done on the evening of the 6th and Pearl Harbor still happened. We had the break in relations physically in our hand, knowing that, you know, their orders in Pearl Harbor were, destroy all your crypto, burn all your gear, get out of town. That is a war message. We still miss that, having it almost in real time. So here's how it went. And I know I'm projecting. I do not know this. Here's how it went. Can we, before you tell me, before you tell me how it went, yeah. I need to take a break. Can we talk about how it went? Okay, sure. Okay, hold on. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and we're talking about sleep again. Do you ever feel more tired when you wake up in the morning than when you go to sleep at night? Could be you're sleeping on someone else's mattress. I mean, you bought it, but it was made for somebody else. I used to toss and turn all night and wake up exhausted and sore, and I thought it was because of the stress of all the news. But as it turns out, my mattress wasn't created just for me. And if you want to get a best night's sleep of your life, you do what I did. You take the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. It only takes two minutes, and it can change everything. Helix will match your body type and individual sleep preferences to a customized mattress that will give you the best rest you've ever had. Helix has soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have cooling mattresses if you sleep hot. They have mattresses great for spinal alignment to keep you from waking up sore in the morning. And they even have Helix Plus mattresses for beautiful plus-size sleepers. My quiz matched me with the Helix Midnight because I like a medium for a mattress and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. Now I wake up feeling rested and refreshed instead of being tired all day. I have a lot more energy throughout the day and I feel better. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They are number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 and 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They've been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a solution for improving sleep and mitigating some of those sleep problems. Helix has a 10-year warranty, as you know, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. And if you don't like it, they'll come and pick it up and refund your money, no questions asked. They even have financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. 
And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash daily beans. And today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. According to Forbes, gyms, nail salons, hotels, mom and pop shops, small businesses, and more are gearing up for a surge in hiring in the near future in order to meet the increased need for these services. For me, the comedy shows, concerts, and spas are where I can't wait to go and I can't wait to get a massage. (laughs) But reopening all these businesses is going to create millions of new jobs. Think about the infrastructure bill that's about to pass. So many jobs are going to be out there that need to be created. So where do businesses turn to fill the roles? ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send your job to over 100 top job sites, giving you access to their network of millions of job seekers. According to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employees invite candidates to apply get two and a half times more candidates. ZipRecruiter's technology is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first 24 hours. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans now. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking with Malcolm Nance, cyber expert, four-time best-selling New York Times author, and I mean, Jedi, right? Official Jedi. <laughs> Official Jedi. What happened? Tell You were about to tell us what went down. Here's how it happened. And here's why Joe Biden was so surprised. So some poor schlub at the National Security Operations Center at the National Security Agency is pulling a midwatch, right? His his standing watch at midnight in NSOC, which is what used to be called the National Security Operations Center. And some guy who is working uh, the high value communications, which may or may not include Ashraf Ghani, gets a flight pan file for Ghani's personal aircraft to Abu Dhabi. Now, the city of Kabul is, has people coming up to it. Intelligence is saying the Taliban is moving on Kabul, right? And then the guy who is actually finding this piece of traffic sits up in his seat and he goes, oh, that's not good. <laughs> okay. And then he goes over to the, to, you know, to the watch officer and he goes, hey, um, I'm getting indications that the government of Afghanistan is fueling up an executive jet. All right. And is pulling money out of the central bank and is probably going to head to Abu Dhabi, Dubai or Doha. Right. And the watch officer is like, what? And then he puts out some tasking. That tasking goes out to the people who are doing this stuff. Again, I don't know whether this is true or not, but it likely happened. And then suddenly somebody goes, Ashraf Ghani is wheels up up in route Abu Dhabi. A little message gets flashed to the White House, and the National Security Council staff. The National Security Council staff reads it, goes, holy F, right? Runs into the National Security Advisor's office and goes, Ashraf Ghani is bolting, all right? And he goes, what do you mean? I was just talking to that guy 25 minutes ago. He's in his office. Well, he's on an executive. He's on the presidential aircraft to Abu Dhabi. No return flight path. He didn't even file a flight path, right? He's just gone. He's just flying through our airspace. And that guy goes, what? I've got to go tell the president. He goes to the chief of staff. Tells the chief of staff, he goes, what? I was just talking to Ashraf Ghani, right? Goes into Joe Biden and goes, Mr. President, you are not going to like this. That's how it's done in that part of the world. They know we monitor their phones. They know we have spies. They know their senior management with them will start running to the Americans. So they do things quietly, right? They have their personal bodyguards, their chogadar. 
you know, the little guy, uh, you know, their limousine driver and everybody get all their stuff and their kids are already gone. And then they make their bolt. And that's likely what happened. And, you know, again, our intelligence is only as good as the tip offs that we can get. And I'm sure as soon as he went wheels up, right, he probably had special operations command going, uh, you know, hey, our combat controllers just saw Ashraf Ghani take off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and he's like, what? OK, now I got two verified reports. Right. And then we go, Ashraf Ghani's driver. All right. Just talked to the Taliban and said Ashraf Ghani left. This is a hypothetical. But no matter what level of the chain of command, these things all happen. And the Taliban were aware that they were going to happen because a year and a half ago, Donald Trump gave Afghanistan to the Taliban. And all they had to do is get in their pickup trucks and drive into the city. So then why not sit down at the Oval, put out a message to the American people saying, we just got intelligence that their wheels up. The Afghan government is abandoning Kabul and we have to go in with uh, troops to secure the airport and get everybody out. Like, why not put that out ahead? Well, we did that. We were already in the process of doing that. You know, I had been tipped three days ago, maybe four days ago. Uh, that we were about to execute what's called a NEO, NEO, non-combatant evacuation operation. I've taken part in three major NEOs, uh, you know, including Albania. I supported from afar the NEO in Rwanda during Operation Turquoise, uh, you know, uh, in a non-combatant evacuation in Liberia. And, you know, normally you have time to sail your Marines down there, right? And start getting your, you know, Marine Expeditionary Unit off of the ships and into helicopters. As this thing was unfolding, these 72-hour warning orders, you know, look, the Taliban is not playing by our schedule. The Taliban is playing by how fast they could get six guys with AK-47s into a pickup truck and drive from Kandahar, link up with their cells in their secret bomb cells in Kabul, all of them take out their Taliban flags, get their rifles and go out to the presidential palace. That's eight hours. Mm. So that's why. And, and knowing the army will not interfere with you. Right. So th- that's it. That's how the country fell. This is not the fall of Vietnam. OK, this is not. No, the fall of yeah, China. that that, Two that million comparison people are not simultaneously trying to flee the country. Right. Where we failed, and here's where there was real failure, and Biden has copped to this, right? Um, the speed in which the government of Afghanistan turned over the house and keys to the Taliban, right, was faster than the SWAT team could arrive, right, to rescue the hostages. So now we're in hostage negotiation. SWAT teams, you know, there, we're pulling people out one at a time, and you're just living by the, the by leave, the leave of the hostage taker. Mm. So the Taliban understand they want to be in part of the world, uh, you know, the, 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 Islam, the, the real operating Islamic world this time. So they know they don't have enough manpower in Kabul. They don't. They're literally spooling up every guy from, from Pakistan and, and, you know, the mountains and trying to get them out there. The men that we're going to have on the ground in the next 24 hours, 5,000 combat troops, we could retake the city of Kabul, but it will cost us a few dozen dead American service members. The airport will get rocketed and mortared nonstop, and uh, it might even cost us 100 service members. But we could take that city back. 
We could take that city back right now. We could take Bagram Air Base back. What we messed up as that is that this should have been planned. You don't plan for the best case. Mm. You always plan for the worst case. I've done some insane planning. And I've always found that it was always the guys who were on the ground the longest, who thought that these regions were under their direct knowledge and control, who did not understand the culture. They did not understand the language. And they absolutely refused to believe anything other than what their allied partners had told them. Mm. Well, you know what? I got a... Here's something that will blow the minds of some of your right wing extremists who will listen to this podcast, because, you know, according to them, I'm a complete and total stolen valor guy. And I didn't earn any of the 36 medals or ribbons that I wear. And uh, but in fact, I I got I I wear an Air Force Achievement Medal and I got this Air Force Achievement Medal while teaching at a, a training school in West Texas, the Joint Service School of Cryptologic Intelligence. But while I was there. I constantly kept up with the weed files in our skiff, right, in our sensitive compartmented facility. And I was constantly watching day-to-day activities in the Middle East so that I could see what was going on. And then I started seeing all these crazy movements of Iraqi army units to the border of Kuwait. And Iraq was swearing to God that it was all an exercise. The people in the theater were saying the Iraqis are conducting an exercise. The people inside the American embassy who were taken hostage, whom I would actually have the privilege to work under an ex-Special Forces colonel, who was the defense attache, who was a hostage later, they were being fed and led to believe by some of the best analysts in the United States that the Iraqis were conducting an exercise. And in my little school in West Texas, I saw the same data they saw, right? But I also saw the Iraqis open up Um, like a million metric tons of live ammunition and ship it from every weapons depot in Iraq to the Kuwaiti border. Mm. Okay, now this is what we call an unambiguous intelligence indicator, right? Yeah, yeah, a a clue. Yeah, you don't break open the weapons locker for an exercise exercise. of all live rounds. So that to me, was a definitive piece of information. But the people in the theater swore on their lives nothing was happening. Sometimes it just takes an outside eye. And I'm certain that there's some mid-level officer at the CIA or Central Command who's going, what did I tell you? All right? Of course, there always is. There there always always is. is, And they're going to go, yeah, well, go get us some more coffee. But then you're but then you prepare for the worst case scenario, prepare for the worst case scenario. And we didn't do that. Maybe it is an exercise. Maybe they are going to invade their country next door. Maybe he's just going to go have high tea at Emirates Palace in Dubai. Right. But if he takes one hundred sixty nine million dollars in cash, (laughs) that's a definitive piece of intelligence that he's not coming back. Yeah, that and you know, and and those are the same questions. Maybe the Taliban is, or maybe the Afghan army will fight. Maybe they can hold Kabul for another thirty or sixty days. Perhaps that's the case. But what if you know? I and and I I don't think that they they ran those what ifs. I don't know how much how much difference it it would have made because now the mission is to get everybody out, right. secure the airport, get everybody out. And I think that a lot of how the the media, who's been just spinning this the wrong way, I think a lot of what the media sees and what Americans will see 
most Americans, I, th- I think the last poll I saw was like 92 percent of Americans support Biden's decision to get out despite what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan. But I think how we handle this NEO is going to determine how people feel about this. And I wish the media were on the side of reality as opposed to sensationalism. Because I'm, you know, I, and I've posited that, you know, for under Trump, it was a fucking happy day for the media. They had a scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal. They could show you 24-7 wall to wall on the news. And now, you know, we're back in tan suit mustard times. And so, I mean, when Trump drafted this agreement, handing everything over to the Taliban and leaving Afghanistan out of it, much like Kushner left the Palestines out of his Israeli peace agreement. That wasn't three, four days of wall to wall news about just handing everything over to the Taliban. We saw blips like, oh, my God, he invited the Taliban to Camp David on the 9-11 anniversary. And then it was out of the news in like 10 seconds. Why that didn't get the coverage was because they had wall to wall shit, a wall to wall shit show to report on. And they don't have that anymore. Right. And I think people are losing money. But, you know, another thing is, is that, you know, these these analogies to Vietnam are just insane. I mean, I was 15 when Saigon fell. Okay. I'm 60 years old. I know 90% of the journalists who are covering this are under the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, let's be generous. They're under the age of 45, right? Median age might be 39. Mm-hmm. They weren't even born. You know? No, and they show this image, this back-to-back image of people coming out off of the rooftop in Saigon next to a picture of a, a helicopter leaving the embassy. That like, was not even on the roof. It was landing. In the yeah, compound. Exactly. It's like, wait a minute, you want that same, you're trying to get the same shot. Two million people in Vietnam simultaneously fled the country. Here's some things that people don't even remember. There were people who live in the United States now who were referred to at that time as the boat people. And the boat people were the Vietnamese citizens, every person in that country who had access to a rowboat little lake skiffs, fishing boats, military vessels, took to the ocean. 800,000 Vietnamese alone went by sea into the ocean and had to be rescued by freighters, by warships, for not months, years Mm -hmm. after the fall of Vietnam. The boat people came out, and they were all brought to the United States as refugees, you know, an immigrant. We flew out thousands of babies and orphans from Vietnam in Operation Baby Lift because these were the legitimate babies of U.S. service members who had sex with Vietnamese and they had half-blood children and they abandoned them there. And out of the goodness of our heart, like, you know, there were charities in the United States that chartered dozens upon dozens of their own flights to fly into Vietnam and fly out all those babies. The U.S. Air Force lost the C-5 with children on it that killed 176 babies mm. and staff in a crash coming out of Tan Sanat Air Base. That Vietnam was an order of magnitude. I think Lawrence O'Donnell finally was the guy who addressed it yesterday. Yeah. Because I said, enough. I put out a tweet on Monday. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. This is not Vietnam. Vietnam, you didn't wake up one morning and find that the North Vietnamese or the Viet Cong, right, the Viet Minh were in the city simply because the entire South Vietnamese army became the army of North Vietnam. 
That's what happened in Afghanistan. The Afghan National Police and the Afghan National Army disappeared or flipped and became Taliban, which, by the way, is why they're driving our Humvees and our MRAPs around with such ease, because the guys who were trained to drive them are all Afghan National Army guys who went over to the Taliban. Yeah, the United States didn't give that equipment to, to the Taliban, the Afghan fighting force. We didn't send them to training school to drive it either. <laughs> all right. Wow. Thank you so much for for putting a little bit of, of clarity out there. I appreciate your time. I know you're working on a lot of stuff. Tell people tell people what your projects are, where they can find you and where they can follow you for, for this kind of information. Well, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at, at Malcolm Nance. That's M-A-L-C-O-L-M-N-A-N-C-E. If you don't follow me by now, follow me. I mean, we've got a bunch of losers out there like Ben Shapiro with two million followers. I'm almost breaking a million followers out there. But it's just surprising to me how many people uh, will listen to me on television on MSNBC or Stephanie Miller Radio or something like that. And don't follow me. It's really strange. You really want to follow at a time like this because, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I've been in the field in Afghanistan and, you know, I know where the chips are. were laid on this particular story. But there's a backstory that goes all the way back to Genghis Khan Mm -hmm. about Afghanistan. They don't call it Empire of the Grave, uh, Graveyard of the Empires for no reason. Um, And uh, right now I'm working on a book about the coming Trump insurgency, and that will have to remain a secret until it's announced. All right, Glomar on that. Thank you so much, Uh, Malcolm Nance. I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hello, everyone. It's AG, Allison Gill from The Daily Beans. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Scribd. Do you ever feel like you're spending more time browsing for entertainment than actually enjoying it? How many how many hours have I spent scrolling through Netflix looking for something? And then finally, I just post on Twitter. Tell me what to watch. Uh, but when I'm looking for a new book to read, that can take forever, too. And sometimes, you know, you just give up. But Scribd makes choosing my next book so much simpler. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks and audiobooks and magazines along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and, of course, smart recommendations based on what you've already read. Scribd is the ultimate reading subscription service, letting you explore all your interests in any format you choose, whether it's the ebook, audiobook, or magazine, and it's only $9.99 a month. You get the entire library for less than the cost of a single book. No complicated credits that could expire or additional purchases. No additional purchases required. I absolutely love it. It's so simple and straightforward. And if you're not sure what to read, Scribd combines the latest technology with the best human minds to recommend content you'll love. And if you want to change things up, you can switch between titles and genres and formats at any time on your phone, tablet, or computer. And right now, we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash dailybeans for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com slash dailybeans for your free 60-day trial. And finally, this portion of The Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional online therapy, as you know. And the counselors at BetterHelp are here to help you live your best, happiest life and achieve your goals. They can assess your needs and assign you to an experienced, licensed professional within 24 hours so you can begin communicating almost immediately. You know, I've had challenges with PTS and anxiety and panic attacks. And to me, it took so long to realize that asking for help was the right way. I didn't have to do it alone. And and BetterHelp makes it easier to ask for help because it's kind of hard to do that. Because their therapy is always available anytime from anywhere in the world. You can log on to your account, message your counselor, and you get timely, thoughtful responses. You can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions. It's more affordable than offline counseling, and you can get financial aid, too. 
And you can change counselors easily and freely, which is amazing because that match, that therapeutic match is so important. Visit BetterHelp's website and read some testimonials like this one by user SO, who says, Rhonda helped me with my relationship issues and was very kind and gentle, yet perfectly knew when to give a hard truth to. I love that. I have made monumental progress with Rhonda. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Bean. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer today for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And as previously mentioned, I'm all by myself for the good news. Oh, yeah, did I mention? I was all by myself. But if you have any good news or corrections or anything you want to send in to us, you can do that at dailybeanspod.com. And click on contact. I also want to let you know that you can subscribe to the MSW Book Club wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just wrapping up Hatchet Man by Ellie Honig. We have a great Q&A episode planned in a couple of weeks with Ellie himself. And there's time to catch up if you subscribe to the MSW Book Club now. All right, let's kick off the good news. First, from Anonymous, pronouns she and her, correction. Hi, Beans Queens. I listen to your show daily, either first thing in the morning or while grocery shopping. Awesome. I'm sure people give me weird looks as I snort and cackle up and down the aisles of Costco, but I don't care. I have a small correction. I adore Gilda Radner, but I don't think it was she who played Scarlett O'Hara wearing the whole curtain. You're right. Oh, my God. Before I even read on, I'm not even looking. It was Carol Burnett, wasn't it? Okay. to continue. To verify, I searched the web, couldn't find any reference to it. As soon as it was mentioned, though, the first image that came to mind was Carol Burnett. (laughs) Yes, I discovered that her costume is at the National Museum of American History. Thanks for all you do. You're right. It was Carol Burnett. I'm so sorry. I see. I just mess up these simple things. So I appreciate you sending in these corrections. Anything I mess up, please feel free to correct me. Next up from Richard, pronouns he and him. Your mention of Primus during the Rachel Vindman interview made me smile. You gotta love a band that releases the Brown album. Ah, yes, absolutely, Richard. Although I do prefer Sailing the Seas of Cheese, but uh, yeah, that's how Primus got their start. They opened up for Metallica. I was there. Everybody was chanting, Primus sucks, Primus sucks, because everybody wanted to see Metallica. And eventually Primus sort of, I don't know, accepted that as their uh, as their catchphrase. Primus sucks. I had a shirt that said it. It was great. Next up from Mo, pronouns she and her. Just listening to Pulling a John Bolton when I discovered a brand new misheard lyric for me. I always heard Hold On Lucy for Hold On Loosely. Even DJs didn't clue me in. And for things kids say, one Christmas my eight-year-old daughter kept asking me to tell the UPS joke. It took me a while to figure out she meant PMS, somewhat sacrilegious. PMS was mentioned in the Bible. That's the joke. It says Mary rode Joseph's ass all the way to Egypt. (laughs) Tell the UPS joke. That's awesome. Next up from Amy, pronouns she and her. Dear my beanie babies, I'm sorry, that's awful, but I'm leaving it. Longtime listener since the kitchen days. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for helping us laugh during these craptastic times. It's therapeutic and necessary. I have a bone to pick with you on your segment about Florida's COVID shit show, though. While I give you props for calling out the corruption between DeSantis and the Regeneron dude, I was really disappointed about how you framed the treatment. I completely agree that DeSantis is evil. He pushed back on masking and vaccines and risked millions of lives so he and his pharma buddies could line their pockets. The treatment itself, however, is extremely effective 
at preventing serious illness and hospitalization in COVID patients when administered before the patient has to go to the hospital. And it's free to all Americans, just like the vaccine. So props for calling out corruption, but please don't compare this life-saving monoclonal antibody treatment to hydroxychloroquine. We need to make sure as many humans as possible get the vaccine and also encourage humans who catch COVID to get this treatment ASAP. It's another tool to flatten the curve by keeping folks out of the hospital. I don't want people dying just because a few assholes are being plague profiteers. Keep speaking truth to power and weaponizing humor against fascism. You're doing important work and the world is a better place because of you and the community you've built. Yes, I agree. I think what uh, Dana was saying when she was comparing this to the hydroxychloroquine fiasco isn't that one was effective and one wasn't, but more along the lines of the corruption of it and lining their pockets. But very, very good point. We should make that clarification. For pet tax, she says, and what the mutt, I present the following. Obsidian, my awesome kitty, who rescued me 11 years ago. He's the bestest master a crazy cat lady could ask for. I'm going to switch up my what the mutt submission, though. It's pretty obvious this little dude is a toy poodle. But can you guess his name? Oh, what's the mutt's name? We have a new game. My neighbor was walking him, and as soon as she told me his name, I asked if I could send a pic of him because it was too awesome not to. Answer below. I told his human about the Daily Bean, so hopefully you have a new listener, too. Thanks for being awesome. Sending lots of love and hugs. Look at this kitty. The kitty sitting on a paper plate? Oh, my goodness. Dude, I think this is a he. Um, He looks like he has a man face. But what an adorable boy. Okay, the name of this dog. Let's see. Let me open up this photo so I can get a better look here. (laughs) Okay, Toy Poodle. What is the dog's name? Um... Gosh, could be anything. Let me let me see if there's any clues here in the in the wind up. It's pretty obvious as a toy poodle. Can you guess his name? As soon as she told me his name, I asked if I could send a pic of him because it was too awesome not to. Gosh, uh, I, you know what? I give up. Let's see. Let's see what his name is. Bean. Okay. All right. I should have. I should have guessed. Yeah, I'm not on top of my game today. Next up from Paul pronouns he and him. Hello, Allison, Dana and Amy. This week, we welcomed a new member to our family. Our niece, Sydney, moved in with my wife and me in July in preparation to attend the School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Awesome school. Little did we know she would soon be joined by a friend. We lost our beloved Gracie, a beautiful Maine Coon cat, a few weeks ago to illness. We were shockingly down to only one cat at our high point. We had six. Sydney had also lost her cat, Smudge, back in June. So we all agreed it was time for a new member of the household. On Thursday, we took a trip to the local shelter, and after meeting several adorable kitties, we bundled up Luigi and brought him home to his new home. As pet tax, including pictures of Gracie, we miss you, Luigi, and Luigi meeting his new older sister, Eloise, nose-to-nose, luckily through a screen. There's been a little hissing. Eloise is not impressed with Luigi's youthful exuberance and energy, but is tolerating him. Also, I have a place name to share. In July, we rented a house in Chano Lakes in northern Illinois on Lake Pistaki. We had been pronouncing it Pistaki until we ran into a local who asked where we were staying. With much to disdain, he corrected us and let us know the correct pronunciation is Pistaki with an extra nasally Midwestern long A. Oh, Pistaki. Oh, gotcha. In the middle syllable. 
Thanks for all you do day in and day out. It's really important. I can tell how important it is by how much I miss it if one of you is gone for a day or two. I'm sorry I'm doing this by myself on your big newsread here, Paul, but let's look at these photos. Oh, no, Luigi. Oh, my gosh, Luigi. Okay, Luigi looks like Bruce Willis. He's a little bit of a, uh, he's, he's a tuxedo, and I love the little black spot on his chin. This is adorable, and he's got a little black spot on his peat, too, on his little front foot. So cute, and Eloise is beautiful. All right, next up from Carolyn, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies of the Leguminati. For shit my kid says, I have a very sweet one. It's one of my favorite memories of my now nine-year-old. My grandfather passed in 2014. I traveled to Texas with my then two-year-old in tow. We attended the family and close friends service together, sitting near the back. My son eagerly crawled over the chairs, unaware of what was going on. But then I started to cry. Are you sad? He asked in a very big voice. I shushed him. About 10 seconds later, are you sad? Another shush. Then again, are you sad? I finally whispered, yes. My little guy crawled up into my lap and said, also in his outside voice, okay, I give you love then. Oh my God. For kid tax, kid tax. I'm posting a photo of the little guy from about that era, as well as a photo of him hiking over spring break in Sedona this year. I love Sedona. Oh, what a cutie. Oh, yeah. Is that down by Oak Creek? That is so awesome. I absolutely love Sedona. I try to go as often as possible. Of course, we haven't been able to go too much since lockdown. I did go briefly when we were let up out of lockdown for for a minute here over the summer. I absolutely love that place. It's so beautiful. And what an awesome kid. I will give you love. Okay, that's just too adorable. I wish Dana were here to see all these photos and talk about this with me and meet Bean and obsidian and all of your pets. And of course, to be corrected on the uh, Gilda Radner v. Carol Burnett. And you're right, as I was saying it, I couldn't picture Gilda Radner in the outfit either. But uh, thanks for sending in your good news. I really appreciate it. Again, if you have anything you want to send, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And I will be in D.C. We're going to have a beans meetup on the 29th of August, Sunday, for like a brunch lunch thing. And then Andrew Torres and I are going to be recording an episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 Pod live on Monday at 5 p.m. We'll location details will we'll go out to the patrons. The cleanup patrons will get the, the live cleanup show. The Beans and Muller patrons will get the Beans meetup. I'm sure that there are patrons of both shows and you'll get both sets of information, location details and all that stuff. We just require you be vaccinated and a patron. And if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash the daily beans or patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. I appreciate you all. Love you so much until tomorrow when I will be talking with former ambassador to Russia and author of the book from Cold War to Hot Peace, Mike McFall. Big guest, big discussion. I look forward to it. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news